Years ago when I got married, 40 years ago, I didn't get my hair cut. You know, I was 20s. I didn't know any better. Dumb kid, right? Got married, and now I get always get to see these pictures of my our wedding day, and my hair just looks shambles. So I'm not going to preach with my hair looking this way. So I went to get my hair cut, and I walked in. And, uh, you know, on the way, I thought, you know, Lord, here I am talking about discipleship and developing a discipleship mindset, and I... Want you to? I just felt the Holy Spirit convict me when I go to have my hair cut. I just talked to this person. I don't know who it was going to be. It was at Great Clips out in Lacey. Okay, Lord, when I got there, I prayed, Lord, give me the opportunity to speak to this person about you. In some way, fashion, I don't know how it's going to happen, but, you know, use me if you can. And so I walked in, and the, and the lady says, hey, have you got your Halloween? You got all your candy ready for the, the big event? I says, no, I haven't had any kids come to my house in 25 years because I have I don't live in a populated area, so my driveway's long and nobody comes down there. But we have this event at our church, and I'm going to be at that. And all kinds of candies open to the public, and it's out on 26th Avenue Northeast. You go, oh, okay. Well, and so she said, where's that? And so I kind of explained it, and, and uh, said, open to the public, so you know you can come, whatever. And I said, I'm in here, I'm getting my hair cut, because I'm preaching on Sunday. So oh, really? So it wasn't the whole story, but it started the conversation about the church. And from there, it easily leapfrog into, well, I'm preaching. and I want to get my hair cut. don't want to look bad and all that stuff. So what are you preaching on? Well, I'm pro- preaching about Acts chapter 17, 1 through 9. So what's that about? Oh, that's about Apostle Paul. And he went to talk to the Jews in, in uh, uh, Thessalonica. And he told them about the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, who had to come to die on the cross for their sins. And that's that great story. Do you know much about that? So it was just a just a segue into sharing the gospel with this person. And when I left, uh, you know, I don't know if she's ever going to come to know Christ or or not, but that was, I'm not the disciple. The person is going to make her change her mind. I was just simply an instrument that God used. And I was going home like, yeah. I mean, I was driving, but I was like, oh, inside, well, this is great. You know, God used me. And that's just one of the thrills in life is God uses you to be felt, to feel like you were used by God. So I was thinking about exhilarating experiences, and um, one thing that I wanted to share is I'm a sailor, and, you know, there's for me, that's just the peak of existence practically. Like, I just, you know, so think about in your own life, and this is a, you know, a family program, so keep it G-rated, but, you know, what really excites you and just gets you to that point where you're just excited and thrilled from head to toe. And for me, that sailing, when the wind's coming out of the northeast and I'm keeled over about this degrees like this and just cruising straight out from downtown all the way out to Hope Island and back, it's just, oh, just awesome. Shut off the motors, quiet, and the wind's just driving me. That is, for me, the peak, <laughs> one of the peaks of existence. And in sailing, there's a saying that says there's two kinds of people. People that have run aground and liars. <laughs> Well, I'm not a liar. I have run aground on multiple occasions. Soft landings, of course. Just waited for the tide to get a little bit higher. Let me in. Because they have those big keels underneath there. Underneath the, underneath the, the water. But, uh, there's another air, another thing in life that can cause us to really feel alive and exhilarated. And I, I thought perhaps you could ex- experience this or can relate with this. And so I want to have a kind of another set of questions. And I think there's actually three, perhaps three types of people in this world. They're not related to sailing, but, <clears throat> When you take a shower or bathe, I'm not ta- asking if you took one, but when you take one, how many people here by show of hands take hot showers? Really like the hot shower. Oh, so do I. I'm just like, oh, this feels so good, especially this time of year. just feels good. Oh, man, I could sit in here for a long time. And my son, no, anyway, I won't talk about him. <laughs> but um, 
How many of you take cold showers? Any cold showers? There was one in the first service. Okay, no one likes cold. What about going from hot, super hot, turning that dial to cold so that you're just instantly like, oh, a couple of those. Oh, excellent. Well, I've recently begun doing that. And, you know, during this pandemic, we spent a lot of time at home and we're watching YouTube videos. And so we were learning about this hydrotherapy. And we're like, why would anybody want to do that? And that's crazy. I mean, you hear about these people in Scandinavian countries that go and sit in saunas and they get super hot and they jump outside and they go into this pool, freezing water. Well, that's what it feels like. And our well is 70 feet deep and that water is super cold. So when I'm in there and I decided to give this a try, my wife's been actually doing it for a while and, and she's a little petite and she gets cold all the time. So I'm like, what are you, how, why would you do this? And so the reason that people would do this is it's supposed to be really good for your health, right? So your body, when you have the hot water, all your blood vessels expand, you get nice and warm and the blood's flowing really well. And then you turn it to cold and it's a shock. I mean, I start screaming. The water comes out super cold. And, and she says, you got to stand there till you're numb. Like, I haven't gotten there yet. But I'm just like, Ugh. and you got to turn around and do your back. <clears throat> and, uh, <coughs> excuse me, it's making me uh, cringe up. <clears throat> and I'm usually screaming and hollering. <clears throat> and I shut it off and get out. <clears throat> and then as I warm up again, just from being out in the warm room, your body that your so your muscles your blood vessels contract, <clears throat> and then when you get out of the, when you're super cold, then you get out and then the blood starts flowing back in, and that's really it moves your blood around and it it uh, supposedly, <laughs> and I think it's true. It helps flush out all the byproducts of your organs and your bloods, and <clears throat> if you have sore muscles and acidic acid, it kind of moves it around and helps your body process all that stuff and cleanse you <clears throat> your blood supply. And you, I tell you, when you're done, you're like, I'm alive. <laughs> wow, I mean. It's kind of like falling off a boat into a really cold lake. If you've, you know, really hot days, like that cold extreme, <clears throat> really makes you alive. Well, when I talked to that lady after just sharing a little bit about what was going on and why, why Jesus came to earth to die, I mean, I had that experience. It was better than sailing and better than other totally alive experiences. Like, I just felt like, thank you, God, that I had the chance, the privilege to speak for you in a small way. And I want us to think about that, because <laughs> what I see in our passage today is Paul and uh, Silas, you know, last week we've been learning they've been in Philippi and they've been tortured and <laughs> beaten and put in stocks and all these things, and yet they're praising God after all of that. And I can see where just this little experience of sharing to this hairdresser about Jesus excited me so much. I could, you know, Paul and Silas have been sharing the gospel, and I'm wondering if maybe that's how they could be in that suffering and in the dungeon and the prison and praising God and still being used by God as their witness as to what God was was doing and why Jesus had come to save people on this earth. <clears throat> so that's a little bit of, a, of what I want to talk about is developing that discipleship mindset. Because if we don't have the mindset that we're willing to turn that dial away from our comfortable life and the things that we're pursuing, if we're not ready to turn the dial, because it's a conscious choice. We can be so distracted by the things that turn us on or the passions or pursuits of life or just the busyness of it or the necessities that we don't even think about how God can use us. And everybody needs to hear about Jesus. You know, this world, if you if you don't know, we live in a topsy-turvy, upside-down, confused world. I mean, not too long ago, we had a whole other nation created up in, on Capitol Hill. You remember that? I mean, that was out of left field, at least in my mind. And there's been all kinds of evil that have been perpetuating and growing in the world today. And it's been said that for evil to prosper, good people just need to set aside and do nothing. 
And so I know that the church across the country and I think across the world has seen a lot of people drop out of worshiping regularly on Sunday. <clears throat> and I'm wondering, where are these people going? Are they just kind of sitting on the sidelines in this epic battle between good and evil? And I want to say that right now, I think, is an opportunity for us to think about what's really important. Um, that we all have, like Paul and Silas, we have a witness and a testimony that we can share. And I think the world is more confused than ever. And what they really need is to know Jesus. And we know the answer. So the question is, what are we going to do with what we know? How can we engage with the people around us to help tell them, explain from the scriptures, use our life as examples, how it is that we live for Christ, what it means that he had to come to die on the cross, why he died, how he died, how he was resurrected, and what that can mean for them. So in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, before Jesus, when he rose from the dead, was seen by hundreds of people, and was going to ascend into heaven... He went to his disciples and he gave them this commandment in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So making disciples is really just comes down to sharing What's going on in your life? Why Jesus? You know, what, what was going on in your life before Jesus, before you met him? When did you meet him? How did you meet him? And how has he changed your life since then? And that leads into why you needed him, right? So Jesus had to come to die on the cross for my sin so that I could accept him and believe in him and have received eternal life. Before I go much further, I think we better go to the passage, though, and read that kind of got ahead of myself. The reason I'm talking about this, though, is because of this passage here where they have gone to Thessalonica to talk to the Jews there and uh, other people about Jesus Christ. So if you could, could stand, would you please uh, rise with me and we'll read Acts chapter 17, 1 through 9. <clears throat> now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollo- Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was the synagogue of the Jews and Paul went in as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great number of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, They formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus." And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Thank you. You may be seated.
So why am I talking about discipleship mindset? I think in this example here, in the, the whole book of Acts, but particularly last chapter and this chapter when it's coming up, we see these men who didn't step back from conflict. They didn't step back from opposition. They loved the Lord their God with all their heart and soul and strength and mind, and they loved their neighbors themselves. And I, I have to believe that's the motivation for them to move forward, proclaiming the gospel, being faithful to being to the command of God to go make disciples. <clears throat> and I think that's what discipleship really is. It's really letting our love for God and our love for others motivate us to share what we know about Jesus because we understand that if we don't, that's an unloving thing to do because they are lost, they're confused. They need to hear, just as in our passage today, why it is Jesus had to come. We need to explain from Scripture what that means, why he had to die and why he had to be resurrected and what what that can mean for their life and to help them walk through that and grow. Now, discipleship isn't just making converts. It's also helping people, once they become Christian, to grow. And that's a lot of what Paul and Silas did as well. He wrote letters back to the church at Philippi, the Philippian, book of Philippians. He's written two letters to the church we're talking about today in Thessalonica. Those are the first and second Thessalonians. He's going to be talking to Galatians and writing letters to Galatians and Ephesians and other people as well. Because Paul, being a great evangelist, he also believed that disciples make disciples, and he wanted to encourage people to grow in Christ once they became Christians. And so he would establish leaders over them, and that would be their mission, would be to raise up people from within this body to grow and continue to um, worship and mature in Christ. In Ephesians 4, I believe it's 10 through 12, no, it's 11 and 12, it says, And he, meaning God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So that is God-ordained, and it is good. Um, but we, we need to understand that we, although we have a couple pastors, Jim and Evan, uh, we are the saints. Those of us who have believed in Christ, we are the saints. We have received the righteousness of Christ. We may not feel like a saint, but in God's eyes, we're the saints. We've received his son's righteousness, Jesus, when he died on the cross, and are believing upon him for forgiveness of sin. We have then been imputed to us or given, he's given us Christ's righteousness. And so we're the saints. So our job is to, is their job, the pastors, is to raise up people within the church to do the work of the ministry. And so we may not be all evangelists, but we all have a witness for Christ. We all have something we can share. We, we can all tell our story of this is what my life was like before I met Christ. This is, this is how I met Christ. And this is how my life has changed since I met Christ. And that's what happens when Paul would go to these places. He would convince and um, reason with people and explain the scriptures to them. And then they would take that message and move on to, and share that with their friends and relatives and, and acquaintances. And those people would hear the gospel and then they would, they would understand. And they would also, not all of them, but several of them would also become saved. And that would continue to grow. And Paul would, would expect people to do that because converts make converts. And a convert is just another word for a disciple. And if you, if you have known new converts, they're usually very, very excited. And they don't, they don't necessarily wait for, well, I gotta have all this understanding. It's like, it's like Jesus met the woman at the well. He said, well, go tell them about this encounter. And that's what they do. They go to their friends. They say, this is what my life was like. And I met Jesus. And this is what it's meant. And now I've changed in this way. And they're so excited to share. And people will hear that and they'll, they'll be curious and they'll want to know more. And there are some, of course, some that do and many that don't. And other people just don't want to deal with it. 
And we will encounter that as we share our story, our witness, our testimony. But it is unique to us that God has given each of us that testimony of our life, what it's like. And I think as the world gets more and more evil, we Christians, we need to speak more and more. We need to, we need to think about how do I turn that dial from being comfortable and secure to back, you know, I, if I pursue comfort and security, I'm not going to be thinking about this testimony the world needs to hear. I'm not going to be thinking about that. And so how can we have that mindset? So I use the shower. Hopefully, so when you're taking a shower in the morning, you'll think about that. Like, hey, am I gonna, what am I gonna do today? Am I gonna just be focused on my life, my comfort, my thing, my, my struggles, my challenges, all things about me? Or how can God use my mess? How can he use my life? How can he, how can I share what's going on in my life with someone else in a way that allows someone else to hear about Jesus? That Jesus needed to come to die, needed to come to earth, to die for my sins, to rise again, so that I can be saved and so that they can be saved. So I encourage you to think about a de- developing a discipleship. I invite you to think about a discipleship um, mindset. So I think that's what's displayed in our passage here today. These men, they have a discipleship mindset, knowing that they love the Lord with all their heart and soul and strength and mind, and they love their neighbors or self. And so they're taking this message the world needs to hear out to everybody else. Now, John chapter 14, verse 23 to 24, Jesus said, If anyone loves me and, and will keep my word, and my father, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the words who sent me. And so here's, this is a great example here of after being tortured and beaten and having to walk hundreds of miles or a hundred miles, they're still on mission in spite of opposition, to take that gospel message to people that need to hear it. So if that's not loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind, I don't know, I don't know what that looks like. But this is, I think, is great modeling for us as they brought it forward to the, the people in Thessalonica. So we recall that he's going over there because, Paul and Silas and others are going there because in Acts chapter 16, 9 and 10, Paul had a vision of going to Macedonia and sharing the gospel message, sharing about Jesus with them over there. And then last week we uh, heard Pastor Jim talk about in Thessalonica, excuse me, in Philippi, uh, the events that happened there, being arrested and thrown in um, prison, and then the earthquake and the improbable events that happened and uh, all the people that were saved there. And then being invited to leave the city by the city um, executives and the people that ran the city. So they went 100 miles from there to Thessalonica, they had to walk, I believe, that distance. So it took them a while to get there. Now, Thessalonica is the city, capital city of Macedonia. And it, um, it was considered a free city, meaning that it uh, was allowed to, they had their own coins that they could mint. And they were, uh, they were under Rome, Rome's influence, but there wasn't a Roman garrison there. So they had some authority and ability to, um, elect officials to run their governmental affairs. So they had some autonomy. They were considered a free city. They had uh, several trade routes that came to the city, and they had an excellent harbor. And I was thinking about, you know, Olympia, we have out 101, and we've got Highway 99, and we've got I-5, and we have a port. I'm not sure it's excellent, but I know there's a lot of trade that goes through there. So not unlike us, we, I mean, we should be somewhat familiar with what that kind of a city would be like. <clears throat> 
But it's worth noting that on their way to Thessalonica, they passed through a couple other cities, and I noticed when I started reading that nobody else joined me, because I think probably you were afraid to announce those two cities' names at the beginning. So I kept fumbling those two, so I'm just going to say those two cities. <laughs> but they're at the beginning of the passage. But there weren't any... So some people think, well, why didn't he go there and talk? And some people say, well, it was his custom to go to synagogues, and there wasn't a synagogue there. Well... I'm not sure why they didn't go there, but many theologians and commentators believe it's because Paul was very strategic in where he went, because he knew he couldn't go to every place, but he, so he would go to the more large, strategic, influential cities, and he would go to the synagogue there and preach the gospel. He would share with Jesus about Jesus, and and then he would expect those believers to make other believers, and those believers would spread and share their friends like I've been talking about, and they would eventually spread out and get to the other counties and cities in that region, and that is, in fact, what happened, which we'll see at the end of this uh, sermon. So Paul expected believers to make believers, or converts to share and to to, um, uh, hear the gospel and then share to other people. So when he arrived in Thessalonica, Paul went to the Jewish synagogue, as was his custom. He did teach there for three Sundays, Sabbaths rather. Their Sabbath was a Saturday, not a Sunday, but three weeks where they would collect, come together and worship God. And his ministry was quite effective. But not everyone is an evangelist, of course, and making disciples um, though for us is a privilege. It's a, it's an opportunity we have to help other people grow besides, um, sharing the gospel. There's lots that we can teach people like, well, how to pray and how to witness and how to study the Bible and how to reflect on how your life is meeting, uh, what the Bible calls us to live to or not. Reflecting on that and uh, teach people how to repent and how to turn and how to live in the presence of the Spirit. And so it's a, it's really a large topic with respect to discipleship. But I wonder today, as I see the world becoming more and more evil, is really how many how many Christians have really kind of sat down on the sidelines and decided that they're not going to make disciples, or it's become a point in their life where it's not that important to them because this world is so topsy turvy. There's all these new things coming at us all the time. The change has been traumatic across our our lives, and you know, with inflation and it's all these things that we are concerned about today, how distracted we Christians have been have gotten. And I confess, as I've been studying and reading the Word of God, that there have been times in my life, and even fairly fairly recent, (laughs) where God convicted me of, Bruce, you're thinking about all of these things, and you're really not even thinking about your own testimony and talking to someone else. And I brought this person over here. Why didn't you open your mouth? And so I, I think I'm probably not alone in that assessment there. So... That's why I'm talking about this deception mindset. I slipped out of that mode, and I'm, I'm happy to be moving back in that mode, and I want, I want us to think about that. I want you to think about that, because the message about Jesus Christ coming to earth to die for people and then rising again from the dead and being the Son of God, and that is the is so important for people to understand. And discipleship is really truly about loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind. And when I'm not doing those other things, that means that shows me I am not loving the Lord that way. And I'm not loving my neighbor as myself. I'm letting myself be focused on lesser 
things. And God has saved me. He saved you for a purpose, and that is to make disciples. So in verse 2, it says that Paul reasoned with the people regarding the scriptures and what they had to say about the long-expected Messiah. He explained and proved from scripture that Christ had to die, to suffer, and be raised again. And so he would talk to them. You know, Paul was a Jew. He was born a Jew. And so he, and he studied under one of the most well-known and esteemed uh, teachers of the Jewish law um, at the time. So he was well-versed in the Jewish customs and laws and religion. And so he knew where they were strong and where they were weak, and he would go in and pick out scriptures from that were written from the Old Testament because they didn't have the New Testament at that point in time. And he would teach them about what this really meant. And one, it is thought that the Jews didn't, they, they knew a lot of these prophecies that are written in the scriptures. There's hundreds of them. And most, a lot of them, the Jews would glom onto would be how Jesus was the son of David, a descendant, and he was going to be this, this conqueror, and he's going to liberate them and create this, this nation that was, was different from what really happened. And Paul would help them see from scripture that Jesus was the Messiah, was also a, going to be a suffering servant. And um, there's videos out there today on Isaiah 53 and the, the fact that the Jews don't really talk about that or, or understand that. Um, but anyway, I don't know what passages he used, but Psalm 22 is one that talks about Jesus being a suffering servant. And Isaiah 53, clearly, uh, I think, as I'm going to go part of that, we can see who that person was that fulfilled the prophecy. So G- Paul would say, he would teach them from the scriptures, and then he would say, here's what happened to Jesus. So they could connect the dots. They could understand that Jesus was their Messiah. So in Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 12, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Then down in verse 5 and 6, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the ch- <laughs> on him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his words we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then verse 9, And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. And then the end of verse 12, yet he bore the sin of many and make intercession for the transgressors. Well, who was this person? His name was Jesus, Jesus the Christ. He came to this earth. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who, anyone who believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. And so God had to send Christ. Christ had to come. He died on that cross because of our sin, my sin, your sin. The sins of the world were all placed on him on the cross. Not only the sins that I've already committed and the ones I probably committed today, but the ones I'm going to sin tomorrow. He's already paid for that. He's paid for all of your sin. He took it to the cross. He became sin. And he went into the grave for three days. And then he rose again. God restored his, his body. He brought him back up. He was seen by hundreds of people. And he gave the commandment to go to the disciples to go and make disciples and talk to them, tell them about their need for me. And then he ascended back to heaven. And that's what people need to know. 
That's the truth they need to know, to hear, to understand. No matter what's going on in this crazy world, that's the message we have to carry to people. We need to have a discipleship mindset that's going to say, I'm going to turn that dial. I'm going to let God use me. I want that experience of witnessing for Christ, even though it could mean a shock. It could be a response that is not what I'm looking for. But it could also be, this person is saved. Don't you want to be in heaven and see people that are there because you talk to them? I mean, how joyous will that be? Know the rest of your life, in eternity, that this person's here because God used me. And we're not going to be the ones that make that person believe. We're simply going to be an avenue through which God speaks. And that's such a privilege. It is God who calls. It is God who reveals. It is God who gives faith to people. But it isn't through the proclamation of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, that people hear and are saved. That was true back then. That is true today. It's going to be true tomorrow. That's that's part of God's plan. And it's the privilege that we have, you and I have. We have that privilege to be used by God if we open our mouths. Well, Paul also taught them that Jesus had to die and, and then he had to raise again. You know, if God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, why is it he had to rise again? Wasn't that enough? <clears throat> well, there's at least two reasons uh, why that happened. Well, one is this, you know, well, first of all, it's God's plan. <laughs> That's why it happened. But it shows us that Jesus was and is the son of God. In Romans 1, 3 through 6, it says that concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of the holy of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So I know there's a lot of words in there, but it says in the center of this verse, and Jesus was declared to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. So God accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, who became our sin. And he showed the world that by raising him from the dead. So the tomb is this giant exclamation mark. It's empty. And that's God saying, this was my son whom I love. And he raised him back up, and he sits at the right hand of God now and is, is sitting there ruling. And one day we will see him as he truly is, not as a suffering servant, but as a reigning, glorious, amazing king. So God proved by, uh, by raising him from the dead that he has accepted that sacrifice. And he also says, so believe in everything he's taught you. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, Paul wrote, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart one believes, with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Have you put your faith in Christ, in Jesus? You know, if you're not, i just love to talk to you some more. So would Pastor Evan, Pastor Jim. So we'll be around after the service. Um, we'd like to, you know, the most loving thing we can do is to reason with you and show you from Scripture why it is Jesus had to come to die, die on the cross, to be resurrected again, and um, what he can do in your life. How we can turn your upside world, your world upside down. Take your world that is upside down and give you reason and purpose for life and for living and make you a disciple and invite you to accept Jesus Christ. Now, if you're watching online, you know, obviously you're not going to be able to 
come tap me on the shoulder. But you can send an email to uh, info at lpcolly.com. That's info at lpcolly.com. And we'd love to hear your questions and be able to figure out how to dialogue with you about that. Because we want more than anything. That's why we're here, to help you find and follow Jesus. And that is the mission and purpose of this church. It's not on our reader board. It's to help people find and follow Jesus. So the second thing about Jesus rising again is that it should be a great encouragement to us that Jesus didn't just rot in the grave, that he's risen and he's raising, I mean, he's, he's risen and he's living and reigning in, in, in heaven. In 1 Corinthians 15, 14, Paul wrote, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And so I'm just blowing hot hair up here if Jesus didn't actually resurrect. But he went on in verse 20 to 24 and said, But it, in fact, Christ has been risen from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came, as by a man came death, by a man, sorry, I'm getting tired apparently. <laughs> by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as Adam in all, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. <laughs> So this is a promise to us who believe in Christ that, yes, our body is going to die unless the rapture occurs. Um, our soul is going to live. It's going to be resurrected. We're going to live again, and actually the scriptures tell we'll be given a new body, but we're going to live again in eternity with Christ where we're going to worship him forever and ever. We're not going to be hanging out on a, on a cloud with harps and <laughs> being bored. We're going to be just feeling that exhilarating feeling of this is the wonderful Savior and uh, just proclaiming his greatness. It's going to be nothing that, it's going to be beyond what we can imagine. So anyway, Paul used these um, scriptures and prophecies to say, here's what the prophecy says, here's what happened in Jesus' life. Can you connect these dots? And many people came to know Christ. A lot of Greeks, a lot of women, uh, not a whole lot of Jews, but Lots of people came to know Christ. It was no small number is what it says. So while Paul's ministry was, we don't know how long it was. It was short compared to many other places he went. But it was um, it was fantastic. God really blessed it. And then those disciples went on to make other disciples. And at the end of the passage, um, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. So in what ways has God equipped you to be a disciple maker? I know that most of us probably have some insecurities about that. So one of the things, the challenges for us as we think about leader, uh, with, work with the leadership is what are some practical ways we can help people move beyond knowledge to application? Because the discipleship, if we really love God and love people, we need to get beyond the noun of discipleship, which is head knowledge, to action, which is a verb. And so we'll have some exercises and activities, but they're all going to be useful if you have the mindset that you want to actually take these further and actually share what uh, share with people, because that's the whole purpose of discipleship, is to cause people to grow in their faith, and part of that is exercising the ability to share with other people. My second division, which is fairly short, is that reasoning for an uproar. So the reason these people got upset was because uh, Paul and Silas were teaching this whole other way of life, this whole other worldview, contrary to what they had believed and what they were teaching and taught, and so there was this clash of uh, are going to live for Christ, or am I going to continue the way I have been living? 
And so there's conflict here. And, you know, conflict is part of this whole story of history. And God knew that there would be conflict. He created Lucifer, and Lucifer was the most beautiful of angels, and he knew that he would fall, and he, God cast him down to earth, and this is before Adam and Eve. And, but he was there in the garden, and so this whole thing, you know, the fall and that whole story, the whole scripture's there. So God knew that was going to be part of, the, that that was going to happen. That was part of his plan. And I believe that God uses the, Satan's evil kingdom as tests for us. When we turn that discipleship knob, we're making a choice to face some of that challenge and that conflict. And this, are we going to do that? Or are we going to hold back to avoid trouble? Because we know as we're active for the kingdom of God, we're going to be actively engaging those who are against the will of God. And so that's the challenge for us. Are we willing to take that opportunity to speak to someone else? And that's what is modeled by Christ and Paul and Silas is they knew there'd be conflict, but they moved ahead anyway in the will of God. And so many people came to know Christ. And so the ones that were left, the Jews that were left, became jealous that Paul was able to woo so many of them away from them. And they stirred up the city. They said they went and found a mob or people off the streets, just people of the rabble. And formed this mob, and they went and they tried to find Paul and Silas to drag him out in front of the people. They didn't find him. Then they went to the city authorities, and they really wanted to get rid of these guys. So they they said, you know, these guys are turning up the world upside down, and Jason has put them in their home and let them to live here. And so it's because they couldn't find Paul and Silas, they drug Jason and his brother, some of the brothers, out, and they took them there, and they 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 told the authorities that they're preaching about another king, and of course. You know, Jesus was accused of being a king, and there was a conversation with Pilate, and he was afraid Rome would be hearing that they have this king amongst them. And it's kind of the same thing. The, the officials in Thessalonica were really liked their freedom, and they didn't really want the Romans coming in and hearing that, oh, they're espousing this other guy as a king. So they were all upset and up in arms and caused this great big ruckus. And anyway, they, they made Jason and his brothers give up a financial security and it's kind of like a bond guaranteeing that Jason and Silas are not going to come back here. And so Paul and Silas didn't ask him to do that, but that's that's what happened. And in Thessalonians 1, 4 through 9, I'm sorry, in Thessalonians 2, 17 through 19, Paul refers to wanting to go back to the Thessalonians. I wanted to come back here again and again, but Satan has hindered me. And some people have thought that perhaps this bond was what that was the instrument used to keep him from going there, because if he went there, then... Jason and those brothers, not his brothers, but the brothers being Christians, would then lose that uh, financial security they had put up. So they had already undergone a lot of persecution in Thessalonica from the other Thessalonians that were there that didn't convert. And so his returning would cause them further distress. And so he is believed he, some people believe he didn't go back because of that. But. But they, this group in Thessalonica really did become quite exemplary. And the last passage I have is 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 9. He says, this is Paul writing back to them, says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need say not, we 
need not say anything. So his approach of disciples making disciples was effective here. And I think it's the Thessalonians. He was able to pass on to the Thessalonians um, the mindset, the discipleship mindset of taking that risk, opening your mouth, telling other people how to live for Christ. The principle here is that God equips his servants to make disciples in spite of opposition. We are disciples of Christ, are we not? We will face opposition. It is through hearing the gospel that people are saved. Do you want to be part of a movement of God where he uses you to bring others into his kingdom? No matter how upside down our world becomes, you and I are called to make disciples, to help people find and follow Jesus. In what ways are you willing to participate in that here in this capital city and in this county? Heavenly Father, thank you for your words, your scriptures, inspire us, challenge us, convict us, and move us. Lord, I do pray that you would move us from head knowledge to action. Thank you for the opportunity we had yesterday to invite the community to come here and just celebrate and enjoy some of the culture in our in our land. We pray that that would produce fruit, Lord, that those people would know that we're here, that they would come and visit, they would look online, that we would have the opportunity to speak to them. But but more than that, Lord, even the people that we work with, the people that we interact with, the people we care for and love, help us to be instruments for your kingdom and for your use. And uh, bless us, Lord, as we do that. Help us to turn the knob, to be mindful instead of the things that our heart desires and wants to pursue. Remind us that we were saved for a purpose and to be useful for your kingdom by opening our mouth and sharing with them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.